I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I get to speak with Mick LaSalle, who is in crunch time right now as our movie critic. December means blockbuster Christmas movies trying to get in before the awards deadlines, and that means there's also a lot of great things to watch. He's recently ranked the top 10 movies, according to him, of the year and the best movies of the century. Mick, welcome to Fifth Emission. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Okay, I have a confession to make. Okay. I have not seen any of these movies, so I cannot intelligently discuss all of them. All I've seen this year are animated films. So oh, really? I am really sorry about that. No, that's okay. That's <laughs> but right. that doesn't mean I have very good questions for you. And let's start at the top, which is yeah. you've seen every movie probably ever made or darn near close. So yeah. what is a best movie? Oh, what's the best movie? Well, when I'm choosing a best movie, there are two things going on. I have to love it. It has to be emotional because it's my best movie. And then I have to really believe that it's a best movie that has, you know, and, and the thing is about best or great is that it's always different. That's why, for example, it's, it's very hard to review a good movie and easy to review a bad movie. Because if you're, if you're reviewing a bad movie, People know what you're talking about already because bad movies tend to be bad in the same way. But if you're reviewing a good movie, chances are it's the only one that's like that. It's like its own thing. And so it, in that sense, it makes its own rules. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing to check off, say, good direction, 10 points, and good acting, 10 points. It's not like that. It's just it's intuitive. But you do know it when you see it. Yeah, I've heard that before. I wonder, I, I sometimes wonder about our critics and criticism if because you see so many films and Joshua listens to so many symphonies and if if sometimes novelty yeah. is more important than commercial appeal just mm-hmm. because you see so many of them. Uh, well, definitely some, everything is more important than commercial appeal. Because no, because we're not thinking about. Yes, I that. read your Star Wars review. We'll yeah. get to that later. Yeah, we're not we're not thinking about that. Um, novelty. I would say that 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 is very possible. That when a critic in whatever field sees something that works, that that clearly is is really good, and it's the only one like that, there would and and the critic is in a position to know it. That it's the only one like that. There might be a tendency to to grade a little bit. Uh, more positively than maybe even it, it deserves. Yeah. So what if if somebody says like what kind of movies do you like? Like uh-huh. what's your shtick as a yeah. reviewer? What do you tell people? Well, it, it it may be two different things. I mean, what I like, okay, like I go to a lot of action movies. I don't really care about action movies. I go to a lot of science fiction movies and I give them great reviews. I don't particularly care about them. Animated movies, I don't particularly care about them. The movies that I particularly like, which is kind of atypical, but I, I like romance. I like romances. I like romantic comedies. I like romantic dramas. I like movies about people in love. That's like my favorite kind of movie, honestly. <laughs> You're a romantic at heart. Yeah, and and actually, because of that, because when I when I see movies like that, I have to ask myself, okay, do I like this movie just because I like this kind of movie? Or is it a good one? Because my tendency would be, in, you know, it's, if it, you know, if it's a 
well, I'm, I'm going back like 10 years, but if it's like a Meg Ryan movie or a Sandra Bullock that's movie, I probably, that's yeah, like 15. Uh, then I, you know, I'd say, okay, yeah, I like, or, or a Jennifer Aniston movie. Oh yeah, it's great. So I have to say, okay, is this a good Jen Jennifer Aniston movie? Because chances are I'd probably like it anyway. And, but I think I can make that, I think I can make to some degree that computation in my head. Okay, fair enough. So 2019 was, it seemed like it was turning into a kind of, uh, boring year in yeah. cinema. I think you yeah. even wrote a piece mid-year that said, where yeah. are all the movies this yeah. year? Yeah. And yet, uh, your top 10 list that we've published on sfchronicle.com, you actually make the argument that this might be a better top 10 list than last year. So explain yeah. that logic. Well, last year, it was really hard to narrow, narrow the top 10 down because there were so many really, really, really exceptional movies. This year, it was easy to figure out what was going to be in the top five, let's say, because those movies were great. So it's quite possible that, the, like, if you took the top five of this year, it would be, it would be better than any of the movies from last year. But overall, there were better movies in 2018, because once you get past the top five, then it starts going a little bit. Whereas, like, the top between 11 and 20 last year would be a plausible top 10 in another year. So, but the good thing is also, yeah, mid-year, there was like nothing going on, but we've seen a lot of good movies just in the last few months. It seemed like it started to turn around, at least from reading your reviews, at around uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is that yeah. fair? I would say that that was, the big, that was the first movie, and that was in July, where I said, okay, definitely this is top 10. Maybe this is the best movie of the year. Before that, uh, you know, I mean, in the previous year, I already knew some things that would be on the top 10, let's say in May. So yeah, I would say that would be the beginning of the good stuff. So what what movie made your top 10 list that you think people um, would be surprised by or that maybe didn't make a huge box office hit, but yeah. people should check out? Well, I would say, yeah, I have uh, two movies on there that, I don't think did anything at the box office. Uh, there's there's a movie called The Mustang, which was just a beautifully directed movie. And, and it's funny about direction. Sometimes you can tell like from like two shots, you say, oh, wow, this this person can direct. Um, and that was a, it was a movie about, not a topic that particularly would interest me going in, but it's about prisoners. Uh, this is a drama, it's not a documentary. Prisoners working with horses in some kind of program to rehabilitate them through working outdoors. And it's a really just beautifully made movie. And then another movie, which was, has also one of the great performances of the year, is Mary Kay Place in a movie called Diane, which is just, it's, it's a very, it's a movie about getting old. And it starts off where... It sounds like one of your romantic movies. No, it's not that romantic. No, <laughs> no it's depressing. Um, <laughs> I watched it with my mother. She was like, I cannot believe this. This is like the most, this is the movie you show me. It's the most depressing movie. Anyway. Did, you, did you take her to that movie on purpose? No, this is, this is such a small movie that they just gave everybody a DVD, you know, oh, as a screener. Okay, okay. And I happened to be with my mother. I was going to mother. apologize to your mother on behalf of the Chronicle, but <laughs> no, not necessary. No, I was just, I happened to be, you know, at my mother's house and I was there with, uh, I said, hey, let's watch a movie. And we put this on. And it's, it starts off with people in their late 60s, and it just basically just follows this woman until, she, until the moment she dies. But as it goes on, it just accelerates and accelerates and accelerates, and friends start dying, and it's, it becomes almost surreal. But I never saw a movie quite like this. It, it, it speeds up 
kind of as, you know, as you get older, time goes faster. And, and the movie kind of goes faster with like, like she hears a friend dies and she goes to the funeral. And when she's at the funeral, it's another friend who's dead. And you understand that maybe three years have passed in that time. So it just, it's anyway, it's a, it mimics it's de- how life seems to speed up. As yeah. You yeah, it's, yeah. And it's devastating, but also Mary Kay place is amazing. It's a really good movie. Okay. So what, what, uh, let's talk about your top okay. movie of the year. Yeah. Um, justify the Irishman is number one. Well, I mean, it's close with once upon a time in Hollywood, but the Irishman is just, it, it just feels like, um, you know, first of all, no. Well, t- tell us what it's about okay, first, in good. case people yeah, like idea. me only watch cartoons. Okay. The Irishman is essentially the story of the mob from over a period of 30 years as told through the story of a guy named Frank Sheeran, who was, uh, a, in real life, this is a real story, um, a hitman and also kind of a liaison to the Teamsters Union from the mob working with Jimmy Hoffa. So it's his story, and he's played by Robert De Niro. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, his mentor or his, his immediate boss is played by Joe Pesci, and uh, Jimmy Hoffa is played by Al Pacino. And he's an amazing, histrionic, crazy performance, and it's just great. And it's incredibly acted, especially by Pesci and Pacino. It's also an, an amazing technical feat because these guys are too old for the roles. I mean, all of them are over 75, and they're playing guys in their 50s, in case of De Niro at one point in his 40s, but they do something to just de-age them as, as the filming is going on. And so it, it kind of points the way to using technology. I mean, you know, Greta Garbo maybe could have been making, you know, romantic films when she was 70 instead of retiring when she was 36. Um and it's, well, I think the women of the world would say that should have happened anyway without the CGI stuff. But that's well, probably another well, debate. Well, I think that that's that's not even a debate you'd have with me. I've been saying, you know, that's the difference between French movies and yeah. and American films. Yeah. And, and I wrote the book about the French you movies. You literally wrote a book about literally it. Wrote that's them. true. I've read it. Yeah. You have. I have. Wow. I've read it. So you you're gave, the one. <laughs> yeah, well, you gave me a copy of it. So <laughs> I did. <laughs> um so, so this the CGI stuff, the the de aging of them yeah. is it de is it distracting? Uh, no, it it just it just feels real. But but what's really good about it is that it it doesn't just feel real, but it's almost like Scorsese works it in so that the movie has a kind of valedictory feel. It's like a summing up. This is the last time these guys are going to get together. You know, they, they're all. I mean, it took years to make this movie and these all men in their late 70s. So even though you're looking at it and Robert De Niro looks like he's about 50, at the same time, you know that he's not. It's not like you can tell that he's not, maybe if you just wandered in, but if you know these actors and so that somehow knowing it also becomes part of the experience and it fits with the movie because the movie is all about things coming to an end. That's very interesting. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about, you have 10 on this list uh, of the top movies of the year. I want to ask you about one other one, yeah. which is Bombshell. A Bombshell, now, yeah. That's I, good. I, I wonder, like, I cannot stand watching movies about newsrooms. Mm. It drives me insane yeah. because they don't get something right. I feel like I'm at yeah. work. I, I don't find it enjoyable. I Am I going to have that experience watching Bombshell? Well, a different know. newsroom, yeah, but it's, 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 a lot it's, different, thankfully. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's uh, well, it's TV news, so it's a little bit different because they always get 
they they always get they always get uh, they always get newspapers wrong. Like people say something like, "I want that first draft on my desk by tomorrow morning." It's like first draft. Do you think there's some other draft? <laughs> this is it. That's this it. is this is the draft. Um, or somebody else, or somebody will be looking at a story and they won't be looking at it on a computer. They'll be looking at it it's practically handwritten. You know things like that. Um, this is this TV. This is TV. I mean, I, I I wasn't high up doing TV, but it didn't look weird to me. It looked it looked pretty good. Um, Why did it make your list? I I thought it was kind of a a Me Too movie that was also a popular entertainment and that was very fair and and had it its as its heroines people that who come from the left and were most likely to embrace the Me Too movement would not necessarily endorse. So there was like a complicated thing about it because I mean you know Gretchen Carlson and and Megan Kelly you know they're not exactly uh, heroes of, of of the left. And so I like that combination and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I like that it moved and it was fast and it ended quickly. It was very economical. And, and also I was impressed by the way they, they juggled the stories of the three women in it and really didn't lose track of any of them. And it just seemed really seamless. So I thought it was a really good movie. Well, and speaking of these three amazing actresses, uh, you've, you've written about how this has been a particularly good year um, for women in movies and the depiction of women in movies. Um, do you think that's going to continue? Is, was was this unique or is this well, a trend? The, okay, 2018, I've been looking at this and you know, just looking at every movie that gets released, you know, and trying to figure out how are women starring in movies, you know. And in the 21st century, things have gotten a little bit better. And when I say a little bit better, it's not great. Like, like on average, instead of like like 13 or 14 percent of the roles of the leading roles, no, of the starring roles, being a, a woman now, it's generally usually like 20, 22, and then in 2018 it went up to 33. And I'm not sure what the percentage is is going to be this year. Uh, it'll be at least 25, which, believe it or not, is good. But like the kind of thing you're seeing which I think is encouraging is that like, for example, there's a movie called the aeronauts, right? So the aeronauts is a movie set in the 19th century. It's about people flying on hot air balloons and they're trying to break the, the record for going uh, for the altitude record. And it's based on a real story, but it's based on a story of two guys. And what they did when they made the movie is they made one of them a woman and they, then they made her into an amazing character. Um, and then you say, well, why'd they make it into a woman? Maybe they want to make it a romance or something like that. That's no. exactly what I was thinking. First they're, thing. they're trapped in this balloon together. That's, yeah, that's they, not they what it's about. making out yeah, in the balloon. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. But no, it, it's not. They're just on the balloon. And that's it. And so they just replaced you know, a man with a woman. And I think the reason why they did it was just because it's beginning to just seem a little bit weird. Unless you're making you know, the Irishman where it has to be all guys, but that it's general, general, it's generally becoming, it's beginning to seem a little weird if you make a movie and it's all men. And, and it was, it was a good thing to do. I think if this movie, this movie was made 20 years ago, it definitely would have been two guys and nobody would have even thought anything of it. Nobody would have noticed it. So I think things are changing slowly. Um, and and I, I I have to say I was skeptical because every few years you hear oh it's the year of the woman or things are changing, 
But I think things are beginning to change in the way that they really do change. They don't change all at once. They just change slowly. And I think it's changing. I'll have the, I'll do a column about this later on, um, about the exact numbers for 2019, but I think it'll be up. I think it'll be down from 2018, but I think it'll be up generally for the rest of the century. Are there any other, um, besides these, these female roles, what, what are the standout performances of this year that you think shouldn't be missed, regardless uh, yeah. of whether or not the movie overall is right, great? Yes. Um, okay. I already mentioned Pacino and Pesci because they're amazing. I, I really liked uh, uh, Charlie Theron in Bombshell. Um, and I also mentioned, of course, uh, Mary Kay Place and Diane. Uh, let's see what else. There was, oh, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Moss. You, do you know Elizabeth Moss? She's mm-hmm. on TV a lot. She was on uh, Mad Men. Uh, she's in a movie called Her Smell. It's called Her Smell. And it's, she plays a rock star. And she's just completely crazy. I mean, just so, just bossing everybody around, taking drugs. She's just so erratic. And, and But she's the boss. She, you know, because she's the, she's the rock star and everybody has to... Um, just put up with it. Not not a sort of character that I would associate maybe with Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, but it, she's beginning to move in that direction because then she made another movie where she was another maniac in a movie called The Kitchen. Not a movie that anybody liked other than me. I liked it. But Her Smell is a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it has a great, great performance. Really worth seeing. Awesome. Um, I'm Audrey Cooper. I'm speaking with film critic Mick LaSalle. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how Mick does his job and the worst movie, according to him, in 2019. I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm back with film critic Mick LaSalle on Fifth and Mission. And we were talking about your top 10 list of the movies of the year, but you also are doing one of the best movies of the century yes, so yes. far. So what are the differences, do you think, between these lists? Are we having a good century so far? Because okay. you were alive through the whole last one. You can compare <laughs> these two, right? Well, I wasn't alive, but I, you know, I, I did see a lot of them. Um, I would say to, to get really geeky, and then we could... Get un, we can ungeek this, but I'll I'd try. Say, yeah, I'd say this is a pretty good twenty years. Uh, so it was better than between nineteen hundred and nineteen twenty. Definitely better be, from better than nineteen eighty to ni- than two thousand. Definitely like the twenty years of which I was a, cri- a critic for fifteen of those leading up to this. Definitely this was better. Not definitely not as good as 1920 to 1940. That was a great period. And not as good as 1960 to 1980. That was another great period. But I think it was probably even a little better than 1940 to 1960. And there's a lot of like old timers who hear that and say, you're crazy. But I, I think that that's the case. So I would say, yes, this has been a pretty good 20 years. And I think the reason it's been a pretty good 20 years in movies is that it's been a pretty lousy 20 years in American history. And it's what do you, you mean by that? You mean l- lousy as in like like what? Unfortunate. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I mean there have been lots of unfortunate periods in American history. Yeah. And the, but and they had good movies, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so you're saying conflict brings great art. Strangely, strangely, it does. Even when the great art isn't about the conflict, you know, um, but like 1980 to 2000 was a very in retrospect now a great period. The economy was great. You know, crime was going down all over the country. Everything just felt like it was pretty good. And then uh, 
And you know, before that, 1960, 1980 was full of full of uh, anxiety and the Cuban Missile Crisis and Watergate and all this stuff, all the assassinations. You know, this 20 years, we started off, if you start the year in, in 2000, we started with that contested 36-day you know, election, 9-11. Uh, we had, you know, the economy, the, the, the dot-com caved in, then the economy caved in. And then, um, and then we had the, of course, we had the Iraq War. We've, we, you know, it's just, it's just been one thing after another. Um, right now, it doesn't feel like a particularly peaceful period. And I think that, yeah, I think it does for some reason. I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, turmoil makes for good movies. The era of the Great Depression made for, you know, for great movies. Um, and then that was followed by World, you know, the world, uh, world War II, uh, which was, you know, that was okay, although that was a little bit propagandistic and then that kind of fell off a little bit. But yeah, I don't know why it works that way because you'd think if you say, oh yeah, this, you know, it's a great period for movies because things are bad out there, then you'd think, oh, the movies are all about what's bad out there, but it's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's just a coincidence that keeps happening. Right. So you're in the busy season for you yeah. right now because mm -hmm. all of these movies are being released. Yes. Um, do people just ask you all the t time, like, wow, you have the best job in the world. You just get to go to the movies all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, what do you tell them about what your job is actually like? I tell them that it's like having four or five term papers due at all times. <laughs> It, it's and not that yeah. long. Please don't write that long. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, yeah. It's it's a little bit like that. So there's always feeling that it's it's like um, it's like I have a shovel, and ev but every bit of dirt is like one paragraph. You know, it's like and it's I have to throw it over my shoulder, and so it always feels like I'm I have just a lot to write. Uh, it's not a going to the movies job. It really is a writing job, but that's okay. Because I, what I always wanted to do was be a writer. It wasn't to uh, be somebody who watched movies. <laughs> I always wanted to write. So in that way, it's good. But it, it is definitely, it's all about writing. It's not about watching movies. So how do you, do you watch a movie in its entirety and then come up with your opinion? Or do you take notes during it? Like, what are you doing during a movie? Uh, I, I take some notes, but they're very little notes, you know. Uh, and I think I, I'm just, I just have the notes. If it's a, let's say a quote jumps out or something where I, I'd want to get it right, you know, so it's, it, I'm, I'm ready to take notes just in case, but I'm not taking, I'm not taking a lot of notes. And, and the one thing I'm not doing, um, which I think maybe if you're an insecure critic, you might do is try to figure out what my opinion is, because I think it's really important to just watch the movie and not try to figure that out. I think if you're an insecure critic, you're worried about what you're going to write. And so you're watching a movie in an unnatural way that some, you know, that a, a person just watching it wouldn't be watching it. And I want to have the experience of a normal person watching the movie. And I can think about it later because I know from past experience that I'm always going to get an idea. In fact, um, somebody was, I was talking to a younger uh, writer and they said, uh, you know, they, they, they felt stressed about coming up with an idea. And I said that, in 1987, I was uh, on corner of Fifth and Mission, and I was feeling stressed because I had to write something and I didn't know what I was going to say. And it suddenly dawned on me because I'd started writing at the Chronicle in 1985 that I'd been in this situation now for two years, 
And every single time I thought of something to say. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to stop worrying about this from now on. I just have to accept I'm always going to have something to say. Because the truth is, we always have something to say. I mean, just conversationally. It's, that's what you write. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting point. I had that same sort of epiphany as an editor, too. Yeah. Like, at some point, I'll have another idea. And even if I don't have one right this second, I know it's going to come. That's, I'm really, that's really interesting. And, and once you have that, then it actually frees you to get the idea yeah. because you're not worried. The thing that can impede you most is just clenching up. Right. So one of the things that we have that's unique in San Francisco is a good repertory yeah. scene and a lot of local filmmakers. Uh, what do you what do you think about the local scene this year? Local scene is really good. My favorite thing that happened this year, and I, I can take some credit for it, but I but I I didn't program it. And that is that the Castro decided to show the seven hour Russian war and peace, which is a movie, yeah. It's, it's seven hours long, and it's a great movie. And I mean, it's a great fun movie. It's not like it's not like work. It's not like work. I mean, sitting there for seven hours is the work. That sounds part. like my work sitting yeah. there for seven hours. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 actually it's it's a great entertaining movie. And and they they had they trusted that in San Francisco you can put that in a theater, and enough people would go because you know they only have it's only one show, right? You can't show it more than once they would make enough money. And so I wrote about it and, and people saw it and they went and, and it was, it was packed and they had to bring it back. Wow. And in the second case, they showed it over the course of two days, which is a probably, probably the best way of watching it. That's the way I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it showed it, then they showed it the Pacific film archive and people went to that. So San Francisco, this is, this is, this is, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's very good that you have a critic who knows about it and, you know, who can write about it and make people want to see it. But it doesn't make any difference. If it, was in, if it was in another part of the country, another city, wouldn't make, you know, writing about this would not do any good. It's really great that San Francisco has the theaters, the, the, the daring exhibitors, and most importantly, the audience that will support this kind of thing. Well, that's intellectually curious enough to want to do that. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about two more things. Okay. Star Wars and the worst movie of the year, okay. which are not the same thing. According no, they're not to you. The I read thing. your review. Yeah. Which one do you want to handle first? Uh, Star Wars, I guess. All right, let's do Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I think you are the nicest critic so far to, give, to yeah. review it. Yeah. Does that ever make you feel like, did I miss something? Or you, you well, stand firmly behind? Well, I'm not that nice. I mean, I'm, I just say it ends well. And, and on that basis, Rotten Tomatoes decided. I mean, I said it's 110 so-so minutes and a great third, last 30 minutes. And somehow Rotten Tomatoes decided that's a positive review. And maybe it is. You know, if it began well and ended badly, right, that would definitely be a negative review. I would say this is the opposite of the romantic comedy syndrome for me. And so when I see a Star Wars movie, I don't have just the natural liking of it, like the, the spontaneous liking of it. So I have to be kind of like intellectual about it and say, all right, well, if I like this kind of thing, how would I feel? And I say, well, I'd like the ending. But because but, generally speaking, this is not something I would ever see in my life. 
Um, that's be, you wrote about why I think. Yeah, why, I did. Yeah, uh, about being an usher and being forced to watch. What was it? Return of the Jedi? No, it was it was, it was the Empire, <laughs> Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, Back, which is the better one at least. But, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> but you had to watch it like three showings, the entire movie. I would over have and to, over. yeah. And then one time, yeah, I, it was an usher job. It was a crazy job where they made us stand up. We had to, and they they would have they would have another guy who would check every ten minutes to make sure that we were standing. So we had to stand up, couldn't sit down, and we had to watch the movie. We couldn't leave the theater. And so I watched uh, every shift. I would watch The Empire Strikes Back three times. And then there was one day, one horrible day, when I had to do a double shift, and I watched it six times in a row. And so it, it truly was aversion therapy, and I was doing it everything I could. It seems very clockwork orangey to it me. Was, it was like clockwork orange. It was exactly that. And I started, what I would do is I would, I would start facing the wall rather than the theater. And, but then the, but the sound is so, you know, surround, you know, there was just no way to get around it. So yeah, this is not my favorite kind of movie. And maybe, maybe I was a little bit nicer than somebody who loves Star Wars and went there and would say, Ugh, what's that? I don't know. After I read that, I thought maybe we should have sent Heartlob to Star Wars. <laughs> All right. Worst movie of the year. Let's end with a bang. All right. Worst movie of the year. Serenity. There's a movie called Serenity that came out in January. And January is, is in, in some ways, is my favorite month for movies because in January, you don't just get bad movies. You know, because a lot of you know, bad movies are kind of typical. You get movies that were intended to be great but turned out horrible. So it's like all these three-headed movies that are attempts at wonderful creativity that turn out to be horrible. And this is a, a Matthew McConaughey movie where he plays a trout fisherman and the first just stop uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah Uh, actually it's a tuna fisherman (laughs) oh no and in the first seconds of the movie there's a fish on the line and and he starts heading towards the line and he pauses to light a cigarette and it's like the most gratuitous cigarette moment and and he goes on to this movie he smokes 14 cigarettes over the course of 110 minutes like when i wrote the review i said this is like like humphrey bogart would be saying enough already right he keeps his shirt off the whole time. And the movie starts off as a movie about fishing, turns into a film noir, and then turns into science fiction. And I'm just going to, here's the spoiler alert. At the end of the movie, you find out, he finds out that he's not really a person at all, that he's the character in a video game. It is the worst movie. <laughs> it's so bad that it's worth seeing. I- I don't think I'm going to. I'm going to stick with the Polar Express for the rest of this year. Mick, thank you so much for being on here today. I'm glad you finally admitted to everybody what a hopeless romantic you are. thank you. And good luck uh, for the rest of the movie watching season. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I want to thank film critic Mick LaSalle for being with us today. He wants to hear what you think about movies, too. And you can write to him at mlasalle, that's M-L-A-S-A-L-L-E, at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And also, thank you for listening to Fifth Emission. On behalf of the Chronicle, I apologize to all the Matthew McConaughey fans out there. Fifth Emission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.